Welcome to West Virginia Beer Roads, a podcast all about beer from a West Virginia perspective. I'm Erin McCoy, here with my podcast partner, Charles Bakwe. Well, Erin, you remember about a year ago, we did a podcast with the folks at Greenbrier Valley Brewing Company, and uh, uh, that was over in Lewisburg, right? Yes, we took a trip up there and got to meet those fine folks and tour their facility, and it was quite a day. Yeah, you know, and I remember in that interview, we learned so much about their progress and their goals for the upcoming year. And then, well, the COVID pandemic hit. And I'm sure that's changed a lot of things for them, just like it changed a lot for us. Uh, So today we're going to go back and visit with these guys again, the good guys at Greenbrier Valley Brewing Company in Greenbrier County, West Virginia. So let me uh, introduce the majority owner of Green Bar Valley Brewing, Bill Heckel, and also we have their director of sales and marketing, Alex Durand. Alex and Bill, welcome to West Virginia Beer Roads. Hey, Charles. Hey, Aaron. How are you both doing? Uh, thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I should say welcome back to West Virginia Beer Roads because we're um, moving ahead and I know you guys are moving ahead. I watch your Facebook and sometimes other things, your website, and see that you know you haven't let any grass grow under your feet. You're letting you're moving <laughs> along even in this year. But I know it's probably been different. So, looking back over the past year, I'd like for you guys to give me your kind of nutshell nutshell review of last year, and what the positives were, what the negatives were for Greenbrier Valley Brewing. Uh, start with. Um, uh, Last time you saw us, we were planning to open our uh, craft house downtown Lewisburg. Uh, and that was supposed to be at the end of March, beginning of April is when our opening date was. Uh, great timing. Great timing, yeah. Uh, so uh, what was it, March 17th, when they had the complete and total shutdown. <laughs> so that has still been delayed. Um, a couple other times we were getting ready to open it, but then the spike in COVID cases, we're like, oh, we do this, are we uh, just setting ourselves up for uh, more financial ruin by doing it? Uh, so we've we've held off, but we really, really want to get it open uh, as soon as possible. Um, which that also led into a lot of restaurants and bars being shut down. So we had to go from where um, Alex can probably tell you, but our our keg sales are down way from uh, even the previous year 2019 where we were expected to increase uh, especially in the northern Virginia DC area of Maryland mm-hmm. and it basically we ended up having to really really just simply focus on West Virginia and uh, the Roanoke area of Virginia uh, I would say even yeah. though we, we have a little bit of presence still in the northern Virginia that we're still working in our distributor and uh, all the retailers are still really wanting to place our stuff. But then the, the next big hit was the can shortage, the aluminum shortage that hit, uh, which hit us in a couple little factors, but we were, we've been able to push through. Uh, and uh, we've definitely seen where uh, some of the larger corporate accounts of uh, are really really liking the sales of our product in general inside of uh, uh, major retailers. And Alex can go more into this in a little bit, but it sets us up for a very positive light in uh, 2021. Uh, 
when resets go back into effect, mainly in the end of March, beginning of April. Yeah, like right when we were about to hit the ground running in D.C., they got hit the hardest. So, yeah, we definitely had to pull back in and try yeah, to figure let, out what Let me ask you this, was. Alex. Uh, when all this draft sales, you know, kind of dried up because all the bars got shut down and restaurants, and that would be, like you say, especially maybe over in D.C. and some of those other markets, that, had, that really had to impact what you do day-to-day -day as far as how you operate the brewery, doesn't it? Correct, yes. So... We saw, if you want to get into numbers, we saw about a 700 barrel difference between 2020 and 2019. Yeah, roughly 3,000 kegs. Yeah, so that was a pretty big hit. Um, and then, um, for those of you in the industry, you know that every time we have a keg, we, get, we charge a deposit to get that keg back. So when kegs are not going out, um, we're not getting the wash of charging deposit, getting the empty shell back. So then distributors were only ordering cans and we had to make agreements. And luckily our distributors were very wonderful and understanding and they were reserving kegs to be taken back or to give back. So it wasn't completely wiping out the can orders that they were uh, ordering. Yeah, and I think a lot of brewers, because you, know, you don't have a ton of employees close together, but you have some in the production side. Uh, you know, how did you manage, be, you know, keeping a healthy workplace and keeping the place open, you know, during those all, all this past year? So the main thing, since we were mainly a production facility first, and um, we do have a tap room, um, we shut down the tap room and uh, followed CDC guidelines. Um, and then after there was more of a clear image of how the possibility of opening the tap room we had astringent policies. We provided masks to any customers that came in. There was hand sanitizer for everyone, um, spacing, masks. Mat, yeah, we offered masks. And then um, you're not allowed to, like you got to form six feet away at the bar. You weren't able to hang out at the bar and drink. Um, we actually didn't even open our tap room until what, September? Almost September, yeah. <clears throat> and we were just doing- um, Pick up growl curbside growler fills. Yep, and we were sitting on tons of kegs. So in order to push through those growler fills, or push through those kegs, we offered growler fills for $5 to make sure that the product was fresh. Um, since no distributors ordered for, I mean, nobody could, nobody could ten, order. We had 10 uh, keg sales in the first like two and a half months. Yeah. Ten yeah. And do, you, do you feel pretty ten, good? Ten, uh, 10 kegs. <laughs> Normally we have orders with hundreds. <laughs> yeah. You feel pretty good though about the, the way you were able to operate as a healthy workplace and then far as your employees oh, and keeping uh, them keeping them up you know okay anytime that there was a scare everybody usually uh went to get tested uh they quarantined uh we've not had a single positive test come back from our our facility uh, and we've had people close that work here as close as uh honestly uh uh their significant other tested positive and after that, still, it hasn't been brought back in, and uh, we've tried to be very, very up on it and uh, cautious. Yeah, just following all of the guidelines, and then, yeah, not letting it slip, just because it's, I mean, there's really no reason to, because numbers are still increasing. Um, we try to stay up on whatever the state, and then also um, Harvard puts out, um, until pretty much told otherwise. So really, it's kind of hard on in certain instances, but just being mindful of it. So we just kind of separated people into different areas. The sales team got pulled home, which was 
pretty rough because what do you have a sales team do? Um, and we went into customer service mode and we were able to talk to accounts, see how they were doing, relate with them and see if there was anything that we were able to do. Um, talk to them about the uh, possibilities of them doing growlers, um, like additions to like temporary laws that were coming around about growler sales. Um, and just yeah, it essentially went into customer service mode. The, uh, if we did have to do accounts, because we did have to, the only accounts that we were able to talk to were off premise, really. And we operated in hours in which there wasn't high volumes. Um, so as early as five in the morning, some of our sales reps would go in to meet with the manager and the, the placement, just so that there was no other uh, customers actually, well, the store wasn't actually open, in other words. So they right. were they were there at the, the most limited time possible. So these were for your sales reps that were maybe calling on accounts, the, our chain accounts and things that, that needed to be done. Because I know, I mean, what I mean is you're not a direct uh, distributor. You you go through right. beer distributors and to sell your product. So they do most of that calling on accounts for you, right? Yeah, but we would get, we, we would get the, the placements like... Uh, one of our sales staff, he'd like, for example, go into Walmart and, and I'm just using a random like Beckley Walmart at five o'clock in the morning, you know, get what the placement's going to be, relay that information to our distributors so that then the, whenever what we were able to get in, they would have the, the beer for and uh, get our display set up. But we try to do it whenever, you know, very low volume as far as uh, contact with anybody and uh, and hours that it would work. And it turned out to be quite successful in that. We were actually able to restructure a bunch of things too and create up um, when we started working with these chain accounts, like corporate accounts like Walmart, Kroger, the larger um, interests, they were showing more interest in us and allowing us to put in warm displays and they wanted to have more local relevance because they weren't able to get beer from the larger um, accounts. Uh, Miller Lite ran out for a while in the state of West Virginia. And I know they had a, a hard time getting it in Roanoke where we're distributed. <clears throat> so they were able to work with these accounts and we turned into like data entry monsters where we were cataloging all of the SKUs and what was going in and um, and then given the opportunity of them saying, well, you can now have these um, other stores, we were able to try to, actually we were able to achieve mostly near 100% execution with some of the corporate partners. Well, I wanna bring in Aaron McCoy now. Uh, Aaron has some good questions as well. Yes, hello. Um, Bill, I will ask you this first. How would you describe the current state of the West Virginia beer market for Greenbrier Valley? Um, it, it, our market is actually fairly strong. Um, we have some uh, stuff that we can't really cut, cut bring out right now, but uh, I know even today uh, we, we uh, secured a pretty good account that's going to be very uh, instrumental with us uh, in the near future. Uh, that is what uh, June, July target date uh, for launch. Uh, we have a few that we start off in small batch. <clears throat> We're at a little bit of a disadvantage uh, to some of the other uh, breweries in the state where we're a little bit off the beaten path whenever it's actually our tap room. So we've put out, uh, I think it's nine new beers this year uh, that we primarily did in small batch, three and a half barrel. Uh, but we've done a little tweaking and uh, we have a few ideas that are gonna be released this year that uh, we're real excited about. 
especially from feedback and sales uh, from here locally. I know it's, uh, and our goal is, is to mainly, whenever we release these, these will, these will start out primarily just in West Virginia. Uh, and then we will branch out to other states, mainly because of, uh, uh, again, th this year is still not going to be good until hopefully quarter three on cans. Uh, well, let me, all, let me ask let me ask you about this. Uh, what I've seen more of maybe, or maybe it's my imagination, seems like convenience stores, um, maybe some of the change, you mentioned Walmart, maybe seeing more Greenbrier Valley beer out there. And you said that one reason was because, well, they couldn't maybe get some of the other brands that they wanted. But it seems like there must be something else going. You, you're, you guys must be supporting that a little more than you did a year ago or two years ago. I'll actually let Alex out on this because this is uh, where you go through the numbers. Yeah. So if you're talking about like me, so for instance, one of them um, are supermarkets. We had been in supermarkets originally and they're able to use the data of our sales for what stores we have. And then we are actually able to establish relationships with these buyers from these corporate accounts or these supermarkets. Same thing with convenience stores. And then once they have real data, so us sticking to like our core, the tried and true, allows us to generate information that is more easily communicated with these buyers and say that they can put, give us a space and a shelf and know that it's gonna be able to grow because we have actually pushed those products as hard as we can. And then they allowed us to do things like have displays and then see how that display information happens. So us only having five SKUs uh, allowed us to put in five SKU displays and allow those to grow and generate sales data that they can use and trust that we would be able to work well in the state and outside of the state. So with one particular meeting, we were in 14 stores. And after the meeting, we were in all of the stores with our largest generating SKU, which is Devil Ant. That sounds like to me, you ought to feel pretty good about the West Virginia retail. And I, you, I know the on-premise, you can't really tell because so many of them were or down this year, but uh, retailers and, and bottle shops sounds like a great year uh, or a great, you know, that you're making progress and you got to feel good about that. Yeah, we were actually, um, one of our buyers had mentioned that we were the number one selling craft beer um, in their chain and sold at the top 22 of all SKUs in the store. So and they have well over hundred SKUs. Wow, that's fantastic. Fall, we were we were the top, not only uh, West Virginia, we were top craft. Top craft. Top craft. Like we were uh, actually outperforming uh, Sierra Nevada. Uh, any craft, actually. We were, mm -hmm. uh, and we went from a small placement in that one to pretty much close 100% execution. And that execution goes into full effect in March and April, right? It's correct. So they're going to do their spring sets. The conversations didn't have immediate impact um, and you're just hoping and this is a very new territory for us and all the buyers have uh, fulfilled everything that they have we'd expect about in meetings and that it turned into a cascade effect of now that there's uh, more of us there in the market share a lot of the other uh, competitors that like supermarkets or grocery stores are contacting us yeah because they want to be a part of it as if they can get across the street they want to be able to have it as well for their consumers that's great. Um, how about the beer market in Northern Virginia and Maryland? How's that going? Uh, it's been slow, but again, Alex can help on this. I know we've 
just had a meeting earlier today on uh, Northern Virginia, and it, it and the future looks very, very bright. Our dark cloud of where uh, off-premise has been down, our on-premise there <clears throat> from numbers that we've done in West Virginia, looks like they're going to skyrocket. <laughs> Yeah, so the in Maryland, we were we were just getting into that market too. Um, Maryland is driven by a lot of your off premises and liquor stores. Um, their grocery stores don't have beer, from my understanding, and so a very rare occasion. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were we we had a sales rep there that was that was doing work. Um, we were just moving it, and then when the shutdown had happened, um, there was it was an understanding that I couldn't send sales reps there anyway. So we just kind of um, we waited. And that allowed us to again focus on West Virginia. The uh, now uh, it kind of makes me think that I mean the way that we're set up is you do these sales and you work with um, getting accounts and everything you do is not for like the now it's for the later. So in Northern Virginia, which has a lot of transplants and the brand is very very well received, they are looking at putting us into a lot of the larger chains, but for 2022 not this year. So this is where the conversation happens. We do some tests, draw numbers, and then based off of whatever the sales are, hit certain target areas to be able to provide fresh beer. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, internal Greenbrier Valley Brewing operations currently. Uh, let me start with staffing. Um, some people increase staff this year. Some people cut back a little, depending on their, you know, whatever was going on in their, in their sales, I guess. And uh, how, how is your staffing level now compared to say a year ago? It's about the same, isn't it? It's about the same. Uh, we have some new faces and a few people that's left. Uh, I know like Evan, for example, with the state farm, cause mm -hmm. he got a desk job. He was happy with that. But, uh, uh, I can't think of anyone that I've actually, uh, I haven't had to fire anyone. Uh, well, that's good. Couple, that's good. We, we've, had, we've had a couple of people that have, uh, uh, one uh, is a health concern that we want to bring back uh, just because of uh, COVID. So we still kept on a lot of familiar faces at our brewery, Brian Ray Miller, uh, Billy, our taproom manager, Annie. We added a student from the Bridge Valley Academy another employee that used to work at Big Timber. We have 13 employees, 38% of which are female, which I think is a very valuable statistic to drop because according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics in 2020, there's only 24.9% women that were employed by the beverage manufacturing industry. And in 2016, there was 29% that were in the manufacturing workforce where women had actually occupied 47% of the total labor force. So it's not to just tout that as laurels, it's that us, we are hiring qualified people. And we were able to bring in new, like Candace, she has the ability to be able to hopefully create another shift where we would be able to run our canning line a little bit longer. Yeah, and that uh, makes you a significant employer in the Lewisburg area with, um, you know, like they say 13 people or more working there. And that's fantastic. I'm smiling, can you see it? <laughs> hey. So, okay, guys, how about the facilities? Are there any new facilities planned? Or you talked a little before last year, maybe hinted there might be. So how's that looking, facilities? 
Well, uh, facility-wise, we have a, a few plans, but we want to really see how this new March uh, sets up, March and April with uh, all of our new placements, because we're about ready to double uh, as far as uh, our our canned product going out the door. Uh, so we want to make sure that we get that first right. And uh, then, uh, like I know our goal last year was to come in larger format packaging, but uh, we've kind of scrapped that because now it's like, you know, well, let's get what we know we're already selling. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so last year, I think, as I remember when we did this a year ago, you guys had already expanded internally inside that same building, taking more space within that facility. Uh, yeah. So that's it's all totally being... filled with kegs now. <laughs> <laughs> Empty kegs. Empty kegs. Yeah, we got about three thousand of them back there, where we used to be worried that we we're going to have to order more uh, all the time. Yeah, so I would imagine your current canning equipment and your production facilities or production equipment are all adequate to produce what you think you're going to need for the upcoming year. Oh, yes. Yeah, even if with a double. I mean, we're, we're still well under the threshold. Yeah. yeah and just, Alex, or, or one of you guys mentioned, too, that the, the new tap room in downtown Lewisburg, you're still hoping this spring or sometime this year, certainly, could get open as pandemic uh, allows. Yes, fingers crossed on that one, but we are, we're really hoping for that because uh, we know it will be a good addition to downtown Lewisburg. Uh, just hopefully our landlord can hold on with us a little bit longer and not need to get someone else in there just to get traffic through there. Well, I'm hoping you guys can tell me some interesting stuff about Greenbrier Valley's production side. What do you think um, as far as 2020 ending at total barrels? Was it 1,000, 2,000? We hit 3,241 barrels. Oh, wow. That's, that's not bad, especially considering the year. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what was your best sellers? Um, I will give you two guesses. <laughs> <laughs> Devil Ants. <laughs> yeah, so Devil Ants, our <laughs> second bestseller is still Wild Trail. Um, we actually um, held reins with Mothman. Uh, we, if you're going to come in fourth with just canned product, Old Rannell actually um, is now at fourth. And it's- Now, Old uh, Rannell, explain that beer a little, make sure people understand what that is. The Old Rannell's our Pilsner. It's named after uh, Old Rannell McCoy. And um, it kind of completes our uh, Devil, or I'm sorry, Hatfield McCoy feud, which we actually used uh, last year. Um, we ran a campaign called in Settle February. the Feud. Yeah, in February. In February. Yeah, where um, you know we were able to put an IPA next to a Pilsner and gain interest. The the IPA has so much brand recognition; it actually allowed a lot of people to try a lighter style of beer. Um, 35 Parks actually has increased quite a bit, but not since we didn't have it in cans last year. Um, it was the most sold uh, six stool out of our tap room. Oh, wow. Um, it in definitely increased in the, the few places that had um, like draft. So we now put it in cans. Were there any surprises for you guys as far as, you know, sales you just talked about, obviously you went over that, but what surprised you the most in your final sales numbers? Um, I mean, something that surprised me was the uh, the interest in such an, uh, a boutique level beer, um, the Great Claw. 
because it's some the the price point has a little bit of a sugar sticker shock to it yeah talk about great claw i mean like explain the beer again for people that may not know okay so great claw is our barrel aged imperial stout we get our barrels from smooth ambler um beer they're mostly contradiction barrels we aged them um for this year actually we aged it for uh 10 months and then we named it after the megalonyx which is the state fossil and contrary to popular belief it was discovered in haynes cave even though the state declaration for it was uh, oregon cave um it's been uh that actually sells in cans equal to the number of devil ants cases over our tap room wow pretty amazing can you get into um, percentages as far as sales, packaged beer versus draft beer? I mean, obviously, it's going to be an obvious answer, but can you talk about that a bit? I can give you, I didn't um, have, I mean, it's changed quite a bit. Right? For individual varieties, I mean, Devil Ants makes up about 53% of our sales. Um, the verses and kegs and cans last year was just a difference of a, uh, 900 barrels. So we sold 900 barrels more of cans than we did kegs. Wow. Okay. That's a hey, um, you, you mentioned those state park beers. Um, what was the inspiration again? Because a lot of people don't see those because they weren't so much widely distributed because so many of the bars, you know, weren't open to sell the draft. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit more. I mean, fill us in on the that series and what it's like, what it's about. Okay. So we released a beer <clears throat> called 35 Parks to honor the partnership that we have with uh, Pipestem State Park Resort down in Pipestem, West Virginia. We worked with them because they, they didn't have Greenbrier Valley. Like they, they, they couldn't pick it up. Um, met with their food and beverage manager at the time, <clears throat> uh, planned an event, and then got along really, really well and started talking about possibly doing a beer to honor the 35 parks in West Virginia, the 35 state parks. And then we worked with them and we donate proceeds of that beer to the West Virginia State Park Foundation. So tell me about your Explore series that you guys have started uh, with small batches and what your plans are for that series. Okay, so the Explore series is about the concept of getting out, exploring and you know bringing beer when it's um, allowed. The the West Virginia is full of tons and tons of trails. So this gave us an opportunity to explore within ourselves, try out a, diff- a couple of different styles of beer um, and just put it out in our tap room so we could get direct face-to-face um, feedback on our products. We've highlighted over nine trails this year and actually I'm working at um, moving with another group and expanding on that series and highlighting some other uh, beautiful aspects of West Virginia. Like a lot of our a lot of the people here were very big in being outdoors and enjoying like everything that West Virginia has to offer. So the staff members were actually the ones that picked the names for all those trails because they're their favorites. Okay. So you're going to stick with the Explore series, but just expand upon maybe the activity that you promote it with, or you're going to have a spinoff still exploring, but not a trail. Yeah, I think I would like to keep it. Um, I mean, it's still, it's the Explorer series, which showcases beers over in our tap room and what we're using on our small batch system. But yeah, there's more than just trails. There's there's rivers, there's um, a bunch of rail trails in West Virginia that are absolutely awesome um, with a bunch of like haunted tunnels. And um, there's definitely a bunch that we could still explore in West Virginia. 
and bring ideas of conservation and um, like appreciation to all these different areas, especially now that there's a, uh, a national uh, park. Yeah. So, and, so many, oh, go ahead, Bill. Go ahead. Yeah, and and uh, we're, we're lo looking forward to expanding a few of these to new beer styles that uh, uh, that will be pr produced in cans. Uh, like I know a couple of them, the artwork is almost done, and uh, instead of being in the three and a half barrel, they're going to be uh, jumped up to where it's statewide, uh, 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 yeah. distributed statewide in a, a larger. Yeah. Format, um, and I'll let Alex go into this. Well, a little bit we're going to get into that in just a minute. I think. Let's yeah. before we get into new products coming up, let's uh, just talk about a little more. Uh, you know, you're. I'm sure that you're not planning to slow down your growth with hopefully us coming out of this pandemic environment in 2021. And by summer, let's hope, you know, most places are going to be back open and regular business and maybe things will get a little more back to normal. And we certainly pray that that happens. But you've got to be looking forward to that and thinking of opportunities because you've got to move quick. You know, when those opportunities open up, when that market opens and people are, you know, looking for stuff at their local bars and restaurants, you got to be out there. So what do you guys see as uh, where you think you're going to get your growth from in 2021? What are you looking at? What have you analyzed and, and where are you going to be? What are your best opportunities? I mean, right now, our best opportunity is to fulfill um, all the agreements that we've had with our um, our off-premise accounts and the expansion and how we've talked with uh, getting complete execution of the state and all of these corporate accounts allows us to move to the outside of the state with confidence and with data that they can rely on. Uh, the accounts, I know that there are plenty of people that are waiting to be able to go back to the bars and drink Devil Ants on draft. Um, so we would still, we've still kept the relationships with um, our on-premise accounts. Um, and would, I mean, I'm dying to do events again. Um, and like, that's what I felt like we excelled at was being able to create creative events and then be have a presence at every festival, which is a gigantic undertaking. Yeah, so like uh, beer festivals, maybe by late summer are pretty safe to return, I, we hope, in West Virginia. Um, certainly um, other, maybe there'll be other events because people, if they can actually do an outdoor large event, more people will start doing them, you know, and, and yeah. you will see those opportunities. I, I, do you think though that, um, there might be any opportunities to sell something different. I mean, are you looking at, you know, things that might be, I don't know, just new or that there's really, you know, there's a gap you want to fill that you've discovered and you weren't able to do it really this year because things aren't normal, but if it were normal times. Yeah, actually um, we were able to use our Explorer series to um, find out, what people were wanting. So the second we put out um, uh, just a base goza and um, something that we were proud of, uh, people flocked. And then we were able to change that flavor. Um, also with, uh, we were able to actually experiment with a hazy and not do a large batch. And we were able to hone in on our craft. So mm -hmm. this way, when people are picking up a Greenbrier Valley beer, it's been tested and it's tried and true, just like of all of the other varieties that we have. 
Yeah, our quality and consistency from our DO uh, levels, uh, we're on par with uh, the big boys. Uh, we have uh, shelf stability. Our cans aren't going to explode, uh, different stuff. And that's what these big uh, uh, corporate accounts really want to see. They want to make sure that you're doing the science behind it as well. Uh, and we're, we're fortunate enough that I, I feel that we are probably one of the only breweries in the state that actually have the equipment to monitor this and actually do the process to get it done right. Uh, so we do have that shelf stability. Yeah, it's very important. And uh, that's, yeah, something that we need even more of in West Virginia because we have a lot of people who can now. Yeah. A lot of breweries are canning, but uh, yeah, we, we, we need that laboratory uh, work too. Well, looking ahead in about a month or so, what um, upcoming products should we as consumers expect to see? So in a month, so right now you should be seeing distributors are picking up 35 parts and cans. Um, very, very beautiful cans, got a rhododendron on it. You can't miss that. Um, the, something that you'll see that I think, which is the most important to pretty much everybody that I've talked to, is you're going to see Batboy back on the shelves. Um, so it's going to hit the shelves and cans again. You'll see some drafts in very, very limited quantities. We were only able to get, I mean, based off of the way that we had to structure things, we're probably only going to be able to produce about 400 to 500 cases of Bat Boy on the first run. All right, um, uh, Alex, uh, sorry, I hate to break in, but tell us about what Bat Boy is. Okay, so we actually partnered with the Weekly World News on this one. Uh, so Bat Boy was a sensation from the Weekly World News. Well, there was a, it was actually discovered in Lost World Caverns, which is just right down the road from our brewery. Um, and the cave system actually runs under our brewery. Um, it's a legend around here, uh, the elusive bat boy, with giant eyes and ears meant for um, hearing long distances. Um, and, you know, was, I mean, if you could look into the Weekly World News, they, I mean, bat boy ran for president last year, if you don't remember, correct? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what's the beer like too? You know, you tell me about the beer. So it's a black lager or Schwartz beer. And it's, uh, you're going to have Nate's like a little bit of uh, like baker's chocolate. Um, it's biscuit. It's very, very light bodied um, as to style. It actually re was received so well at the West Virginia Craft Beer Festival. We took a cup on that one. We're still got it sitting there. So I'm hoping to be able to get back to festivals and um see where that cup goes or yeah, hopefully it it. finalist in great american in 2019 oh yeah it did it was a finalist as an american in 2019 great american beer fest mm -hmm. so okay uh, well, I think, so i think we finished in the top 10 with it that's great uh well back to the original question what what else can we see looking forward looking forward into the future i would say you should be able to see I like to be very meticulous about when what we put things out. So I can give you a little sneak peek since you guys are so awesome to us and took the time to talk to us. We're gonna produce a double IPA. Which yes. um <laughs> all right. Yeah. We're also gonna produce a session IPA. And we're also word on the street is we're gonna be able to produce uh, there's some goes that everybody really, really likes that we'd like to put in cans, um, called the Green Bank, which is in honor of the Green Bank Observatory in Green Bank, West Virginia. Um, and it's flavored with Black raspberries. Great. Blackberry. And blackberry. Yeah, so we've actually been able to hone that in. We use uh, West Virginia salt from uh, J.T. Dickinson. And we actually use West Virginia wheat in that beer as well. That all sounds very exciting. I look forward to it. Yeah, you know, because 
One thing that's very noticeable that's different about Greenbrier Valley than many of the other breweries regionally as well as certainly locally is that you guys don't, I mean, you might make some small batch stuff that's just at your tap room. You're not putting out a lot of different beers. You're sticking, you know, pretty strictly to your, your, your core stuff. And, 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 you know, things like hazies, you haven't really dipped your toe into other than just dipping your toe into. You haven't really put one out in the big market. The gozas, the flavored fruited gozas, those are two hazies and fruited gozas or hazy IPAs, fruited gozas, two of the hottest, you know, popular, trendy beer styles of the past couple of years. And you guys haven't really been a player, honestly, in those in those areas it's good to see maybe those are coming out, but tell me a little bit about the thinking on, on, you know, what you're doing in that area. I think it's, um, the way I see it is we, one, the, the market was flooded um, to produce something. I mean, we want, we want to stand out. A lot, a lot of the hazy beers, I was confused at what, one, the, I mean, we have a centrifuge to remove all of this. And now that every, you know, we got the centrifuge and now people want hazy beer. Um, <laughs> So the allowing that to just kind of settle in the market, do market research um, and not just jump. I'm not dogging anybody that's been a part of this, but we didn't jump on the bandwagon because we wanted to take the time in our way to create something that we were very, very proud of, um, test it in, in our area and, and then be able to branch it out when we felt like we had something that we were very, very proud of. So when we released the Goza, the Green Bank, Originally, it was not offered in cans, and we made a very small batch so we could then see what the rest of West Virginia had thought about it, and it was like the number one ranked out of all of our beers. So we knew that people wanted new varieties from us. We wanted to make sure that all of our beers satisfied the customers that were interested in them. Yeah, and, and not to mention, last year kind of got uh, hurt because uh, restaurants and bars were shut down, and uh, the, we didn't have nearly the uh, places to put it until we could put it in cans. And on short notice last year, unless you were willing to spend a lot, you weren't getting cans. Yeah, I can see where that would be a problem because, you know, the restaurants and bars being closed a lot or reduced capacity and all that, that's where people try new products and, and then yeah. go buy that six pack or the four pack. And yet you couldn't also get the cans now to put a lot of those even in the four packs or the six packs. So you you know you're kind of you're in a you're under the eight ball a, a little bit. That's why we had to focus on what we knew we already had and had uh, uh, get our skews and sets of uh, what was tried and true and keep it out there. And we could have sold more if we could have got more cans. Mm -hmm. We were actually geared to produce a lot of small batch cans and test smaller markets. Um, just to be, just to understand what our consumers actually wanted. Like, why would we produce um, a hazy if the consumers don't want the, that hazy market necessarily? I mean, you can definitely see that there's a dip in it and now the market is settled. Same thing with Gozas. I mean, you're always gonna have, in my opinion, IPAs and sour beers now for the rest of craft beer's existence. Um, I mean, I can't say that we're gonna produce a cereal dry hopped uh, milk uh, or lactose IPA anytime soon. But uh, we thought about it, I guess. Get into that a little bit about the can shortage that you were talking about, because that became a, a pretty major issue for you guys earlier on, did it not? Yes, it did. Uh, we had uh, 
like uh, one of our largest uh, our largest seller, Double Ants. Uh, our shipment was supposed to arrive on uh, May 25th, and we got it uh, two weeks before it was supposed to get here. We got told it wasn't coming until June 25th. And at that point in time, we were literally out of cans and waiting for uh, the 25th to come and ready to, to package a bunch. We had to bring in a, an outsourced person just because that was the only available uh, cans we could get at that point in time on a quick turnover. We could have sourced them another way and got them uh, a few weeks later, but you know, then you're talking a matter of a week or two. And if they have any delay, then our cans are in anyhow. Uh, that was just going shrink sleeve, but uh, um, we had to go through uh, a company called Ironheart and grateful that they were there because uh, we were able to get our product easily uh, three weeks back on the shelves faster by going that way instead of waiting a whole month. Yeah, because right now the queue that we're in, we ordered cans in September. Paid for them in September. Yeah, and they're arriving um, in March. Wow, that's a huge delay. Do you expect that to continue because of everyone who's kind of ramped up all their canning? Do you think that this is maybe a, a, a reoccurring, I guess, problem for you all? They're not. They're, I don't think they're going to let it be a reoccurring from our larger supplier. We, they're actually limiting. Um, there's no new accounts they're going to be able to enter um, their facility. And they're only limiting two truckloads for the rest of the year. So we have to use um, alternative sources um, like we are now. So there's going to be a lot more shrink sleeve cans out um, on the market. It's good you have a backup. I mean, you know, not that you want to go that route, but at least you were able to go that route and not waste product and get your product back out, out on the shelves for people. Yeah, we just take a major hit in, uh, in our margins. Mm -hmm. It's... They're wonderful to work with. Uh, yeah, the, the company is great to work with, and it works great on our canning line and everything. It's the same can. It's just they get it as a blank and are able to put a sleeve on it where uh, we got to compete with uh, Mountain Dew, Pepsi, Miller Lite, uh, Coke, uh, everybody, all the big guys uh, to get our printed cans. Uh, and that's where the little guy kind of gets pushed to the side a little bit. Yeah. yeah. All right, little guys. Uh, Greenbrier Valley Brewing is probably our largest brewery, but they're still little guys when it comes to the bigger regional and, and certainly national uh, beer producers. And one more last thing before we wrap this up, I want to, um, guys, we're, we're nearing the West Virginia legislative session. So how are you guys with the laws? I mean, everything cool with you guys? I mean, you, I mean, I don't I just mean, are there things that need to be improved so that breweries can operate more efficiently and more profitably? There definitely needs to be some improvements to go out and uh, write them out right now. Uh, beer delivery. Yes. Uh, uh, where you can ship beer. Yeah, that, that would be great. Great. Like, cause we have people from all over the country that ask the, like, Usually on a weekly basis, ship it. Can you ship us some beer? Yeah, more than happy to pay for it. Yeah, uh, right. Uh, and I know uh, I don't know what the control is from in West Virginia on you being able to ship beer to another state. Those are usually regulated by the other states. Not. I know you can't ship beer inside West Virginia, uh, and unfortunately, you know, you're right next to Virginia there, and Virginia. They allow their breweries to, to, to ship in, in their state. Uh, Pennsylvania right. certainly does. And I will say the ABCA has been really, really good to work with this, this whole time. 
anything that we've asked, they understand that this has been a, this is an industry that really has taken a hit because, you know, uh, we're, we're down uh, uh, roughly, I think, 700 barrels. I, I could be off by a little bit, 700, 800 barrels just in keg sales. Now, we've increased our can sales, and we could have increased it more if, it, if cans were more readily available. Yeah. yeah. I think, too, another thing cool that'd be for laws is if um, we could, if it was, like, just okay with the state um, for us to do collaborations um, yeah. and do them where we could actually co-brand um, with I'll just breweries. I mean, I can go to um, Virginia. I mean, the brewing industry, everybody knows everybody. So, like, I can go over the state lines, and I can do a beer over there. And then they can like, you know, put it out, put Greenbrier Valley all over it. Uh, and then they can't do the same thing over here. Um, so, I mean, I think that'd be really great. Um, I'd like to collaborate more with, um, you know, some in-state in breweries, but. Yeah, yeah good info guys. And Aaron, you have anything else for us this, today? I don't think so. I just wish you guys the best of luck and I look forward to what you're gonna be putting out this year. Uh, we're hoping to have a, a pretty diverse uh, thing and hopefully we can hit more to the, the larger batches that get statewide than uh, what we've mentioned because we definitely have plans for other stuff as well. It's just let's test and see where it is and uh, make sure we get the stability and everything there before we uh, really sink a bunch of money in and get everything back open. I, and I know all the restaurant owners uh, and uh, bar owners, they, you know, Right now, what are they at? Half capacity? Still at half capacity. Still at half capacity. It's, uh, and this is a, a kind of a business that you're, it's quantity, yeah. you know, uh, as far as sales. Your volume is, if you, you only have half the people in there, that means you're pretty much getting half the sales. Your turnover doesn't change that great. Yeah, we very much appreciate all of the uh, businesses that have kept us on through all of this because it's definitely helped. Yeah. And thank you guys. Uh, thanks for making it aware out there and giving another channel for uh, people that are interested in our industry, which is growing all the time. We're still, uh, I see, even with uh, the pandemic and everything, we still pretty much stayed on our production levels. Uh, we're going to wrap this up and I uh, want to wish you the best of luck, certainly on getting those cans that you need. And also with all the, the new products that you might be bringing out. Again, thank you guys for joining us today on West Virginia Beer Roads. Thanks, Charles. And thanks, Aaron. Thank you. Thank you, guys. This brings us to the close of another podcast. Remember, you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast host. Thank you for listening to West Virginia Beer Roads. West Virginia Beer Roads is a production of BrilliantStream.com.